Hello and welcome to the Clinical Audit and Improvement Podcast from AMAT, the audit management and tracking tool which is developed in partnership with our users. The idea of this series is to gain insight from our users' experience and to champion the wider world of clinical audit and quality improvement. My name is Don Conlon and today I'll be discussing what makes the perfect action plan for improvement. To do this, I'm joined by two guests who are more than qualified to give an insight into that. Barbara Yurchik is the QI officer at Sherwood Forest Hospital Trust. She began her clinical audit journey in 2016 whilst working in the Governance Support Unit. Then in 2019, she joined the Clinical Audit and Quality Improvement Team to focus on the so what aspect. Barb is a QSIR practitioner and is responsible for delivering internal QI training. We're also joined by Suzanne Henderson, who's the Programme Manager here at AMAT. She was previously the project manager in the Clinical Audit and Effectiveness Team at Lancashire Teaching Hospitals Trust. Suzanne had 16 years clinical audit experience before she joined AMAT in 2020. So, no pressure here, but I'm hoping for both of you to have agreed upon what makes the perfect action plan. To start us off, can I ask you, Bab, to define what an action plan is? Thank you, Tom. Um... Well, um, to be honest, an action plan, I think, is the hardest part of any project. Uh, it's, uh, it's about the understanding of what the data tells you and what you're going to do with the data now. So collection of the data, that's the, the easiest part, part, I guess, of the project. But the action plan is something where you should lay out um, the next steps of what's, what's going to happen after the project, after your findings. And... We try not to call it action plan because I guess if you put a different name to it, it puts a different spin on things. If somebody said, um, if I've said I've got uh, an action, everybody will say, oh, BAP has got an action. Where if I say I've got an improvement plan, everybody will say, oh, BAP has got an improvement plan. That puts a completely different spin on things. And I would say that an action plan is also definitely not an individual process, individual thing, it's a team effort. So an action plan, in my opinion, should not be designed by maybe individual. It should be designed by a group of people, a team, where they discuss it and, and then create that um, list of tasks to do. And But yeah, we can speak about it a little bit later. What about you, Suzanne? I was just going to say, I can see Suzanne uh, nodding away. Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, everything that Bob just said, really. <laughs> I think it's difficult. And it also... Um, it really differs depending on the group that you're working with. But I don't know many action plans or plans for improvement um, that have been particularly effective if a team hasn't been engaged in it. And I think traditionally with clinical audit, that is one of the main reasons why you present your audit findings is so that you can discuss those findings and then talk about those recommendations and obviously the actions will hang hang off that and a good plan will only come together if people are always focusing on, on improvement whilst they're talking about those recommendations. I was just going to ask about that, about, about the importance of engagement. I wonder if you'd like to chip in here, Bob, about how you even go about getting everyone engage with this process absolutely Dom. and it's um it's tricky 
it's it is tricky in, in the NHS in the in the clinicians environment when they're all busy and they are uh, concentrating on the clinical work and looking after the patients and they do have in the back of their heads that they follow a process and they they do do the audits and they do get the findings and it's difficult to engage other people but it's uh, and I'm going to move on maybe to to the to the discovery process of of things so the engagement bit is making sure that the audit in the first place is not done by individual it's an it's a it's a project that's done by a group of team of people people know about it people support it people agree with your your um, the importance of it so why even doing the audit so then you can take them through the journey of okay so we've agreed we're doing a project we all as a team uh, in it going through the data collection process and then when you end up with the findings you're not left alone you still got that group of people you started with behind you uh, or maybe more joining you your team and engaging with them and at that stage of then having the results sharing the results and trying to to engage with people um to make them understand and i think that, that, that that's where um the, the knowledge I have gained since I've joined the, the QI team is learning the the tools. And I guess we all had the tools in the back of our heads. Maybe we didn't call them what the, the names called they called in QI, but things like brainstorming or five whys or observations um, or the, the elements of the model for influ- uh, influence model where you have got four elements of the jigsaw. You, you've got the element of, I've got a compelling story, so I've got something to that people catches people's. It could be a patient story. It could be something that I will change my behaviour if I have maybe a data behind it. Maybe I have got an audit to tell me this is how we're performing and... Um, this is my compelling story and people visualizes it and they understand why we're doing something. You've got systems behind you uh, that support the uh, the process. You've got skills because there's no point telling people as of Monday, you're doing something new. If you've not given them the skills to do it as of Monday, they will come to work and they will completely say, Raka, you've just given me a new a new piece of paper, a new a new booklet to fill in. I've never seen it before. You've done no training. I've, I've got no skills. So how can I change my behaviour if I haven't got the skills to do it? And I guess the last element of the of the influence uh, model will be the the role modelling. So if you've got if I'm leading on the project and I've introduced a change um, and I'm not following the process myself, not being, you should be the role model. So you should be absolutely uh, following the new processes and people will engage if they see those four elements, if they've got the, 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 the compelling story, if they've got the skills, the systems, processes supporting that. And if, if they've got the, uh, the role model to follow, if they observe you doing it, they will do it. That's fantastic. I love the importance of the of the role model in that process. Suzanne, anything to add? If you can, <laughs> um, as always, I agree with Barb. But I, and I think it's important to change the culture around what we do with those findings. Often, people think improvement is or action planning is quite simple, when in fact. You know, with Bob just describing a lot of those tools, it's not always that simple. And it's fine not to be simple. 
because um, it might be a really good time to talk about the things that are always done within action plans that actually don't end um, in any improvement. And that I think if we're going to really tackle um, plans for improvement in the future, we need to start changing the culture about plan and actions that do not bring any improvement. So traditionally, Dom, you will find on probably, and Barb might um, diff, um, uh, comment on this, but on about 90% of plans for improvement or action plans, you will you will get an action that will say, share this data. Tell the team about the data. Bear in mind, this data has possibly already been presented. Or inform the team that they need to do this. Tell them to do this. And it's really difficult to reiterate again and again how just in your everyday life, at home or at work, we know telling someone doesn't really make much difference. (laughs) I have a 14-year-old son and I can confirm that. There we go. And that's where it comes all the way back to Barb's tools about understanding why. So it's absolutely okay at the end of an audit or service evaluation or whatever you're doing to go, okay, we know what's, we know we're not achieving this. And the first question should be, why? Do we fully understand the problem? And so I think if I was ever going to change the process to that is I would bring a lot of improvement methodologies into the world of audit. And even if it stops right there, it goes, okay, we don't know the why or we don't know the how. So it automatically, your action plan is super simple. Okay, we need to embark on a quality improvement for these items. So, you know, you're almost going down this process of is the solution simple? Is it, you know, is it a staffing issue? Is it some, something that we just don't have time for? Is it just a signage issue? Is it, is it an estates issue? You know, is this something quite simplistic um, that we know we can fix and therefore the plan is quite easy? But let's stop telling people to do stuff. Let's stop telling them, oh, just go and don't forget to check those fridge temperatures, please, every day at 11 o'clock. Because there is a reason why they're not being checked at 11 o'clock every day. Um, And I think people seem to go down the more simple route because we are busy and we're not really focused on that. So, um, yeah, in the future, I would try and ban those words from an action plan. (laughs) Do you agree, Barb? Absolutely, I agree. I've been nodding all the way. I know um, we're just going to share the recording, not the video. Thank God for that. Uh, but absolutely, what you've said, what you've said, Suzanne, that is, um, we, uh, as a trust, we also come across. Uh, I came across uh, going through viewing possibly three hundred project results in a year, maybe. Um, so I have seen quite a lot of presentations, and most of them will have the actions around. Um, I will share my results, I will uh, present my results, do a training. And it's the the pledge I will possibly almost have to, to those um, to those um, leads who, who do the project is to to step back and think about the why do we think that sharing the results of it's going to impact on patients' care because we have just discovered that we are possibly not meeting a standard. And I'm not saying that we no meeting standard across the the board. It's an example 
where we're not filling documentation properly, maybe. And why hanging a poster on the wall is going to influence how we complete the paperwork or a training session. And if I could give example of, a, of, a, of, a, of an action that where I think good actions could work is, is around the barriers. So if you've got, if you implement a barrier, if you remove a barrier, that's the most effective action, I guess. Uh, t- teaching session unless you have done this discovery process and you have definitely defined that yes a lack of training that's the reason why we're not doing something but um i've had an example of a project in in our breast um uh, surgery where around documentation and they have discovered that the way the the document is laid out this haven't got that last bit filled in because at the very end of the document that's where people skip it. Basically, they fill in the top, the middle, and by the time you get to the end, they're just bored. They don't fill it in. Where that was the most important bit, and the simple action they've done is they swapped around how the the, the document is designed, and that guess what <laughs> has resulted in an improvement. The document has been completed, not hundred percent fully as it should be, but has definitely improved because they've discovered that people don't follow the charts as they should because the last question the most important was at the bottom and it should be at the top so there you go so remove the barrier uh, redesign and i think these are the key questions aren't they that we don't traditionally ask when we're asking them to complete an action plan um so on a traditional clinical audit they would put in their recommendations which should be done i after a presentation to the peers and the group should ideally in in um, the ideal situation they would come together and they would suggest things for the recommendations however i think they miss a really big time at that to kind of before they get to the recommendations to understand the problems so again it's that improvement methodology that i think fits perfectly we're not saying we're going to go into all the improvement tools or do a qi yet but we will ask those questions so you know you were auditing against five of the criteria one you didn't meet the rest you did okay do we know why so if we're documenting that whilst we're talking to our peers and do we understand any barriers to completing that and if the answer is no all the time then it's a quality improvement project that needs to be and I mean that might be a really quick quality improvement project and you might be able to do it quickly by just asking why and and how and, and all those like you say the five whys it might be a really good tool to drill down to what what is the ultimate issue um and I think if you did that, you'd save a lot of time. You'd save an awful lot of time to getting actually a quality recommendation. So maybe we shouldn't be saying what is a perfect action plan, but first, what are perfect recommendations? You know, because recommendations are what, you know, you're saying, we think we need to improve the documentation. How are you going to do that? Okay, we're going to change the order of the questions. We think we need more staffing in this area. So, you know, how are we going to do that? And the actions are very much the, you know, like an instructions of how to make a cup of tea, go boil the water. And the action, we're saying exactly what we're going to do because you've got timescales on those. So perhaps we focus a lot on the action plan when actually it, it, it's the recommendations. The action plans will fulfill the recommendations, but the rec- recommendations need to be really robust. So do we, before you put that recommendation in, do you know why? 
you know, and, and these regular assurance audits. So I think with a traditional clinical audit, you could potentially build processes in to really drill down to those, to ask those questions before they can even build that recommendation. Whereas when you're doing monthly auditing or weekly auditing or even quarterly auditing, where you know your next cycle of data collection and results are due, people do panic a little bit and you will get share with the team, tell them not to do this, <laughs> you know, put the checklist up on a, on a board instead. You know, they do the really simple things because they know the data collection periods going through um, again. And I think with those, one thing I talk about, talk to um, with the teams I work with is I always say, please spend time on your improvement plans. Don't worry that you might be collecting data in two weeks' time. It doesn't matter because you'll probably be the same the next time and just accept that you will still be the same. Um, but in the long run, it will improve, you know, um, and we try and build processes in that allow people to go, oh, no, we've got an action in place, we're okay. Because otherwise what you do is, you better have an action to um, mention it at Scrum every morning or, or in the huddle um, every morning. And so they'll do it and they will do that for a week or two weeks and you'll suddenly see an improvement and they go, oh, it's all okay, but it's not going to be mentioned the week after or the week after because they've improved. And all of a sudden there's no sustainability. So if these quick fixes, sometimes if they don't, going back to what Barb said, if they don't identify the bar barriers and remove the barriers, you're just going to go back to that original score because you're not changing any of that um, human behaviour. Right. So, yeah, it's about, so it's about the visibility of what you're doing across the team and changing the, uh, the culture behind it all as well. This is amazing, fascinating. Um, so obviously time is a massive issue on this, especially at the moment with all the pressures across the NHS. So our action plans, and you kind of like touched upon this a bit, Suzanne, are action plans a way to deal with it? Are there more pressure? Do you ever get kickback or pushback on this because you're asking for another thing to, or do you, or do you find that, that people can see this as a way to ease the pressure on work? I think Barb would agree that you certainly get that pressure at nursing level. And I think at some point you have to step back. So I don't know if you agree, Barb, but if, you're, if, if across the board there is an issue, so let's take fridge temperatures because... Anybody listening to this in the NHS will just be giggling because <laughs> fridge temperatures, they're just an age-old problem. But um, if you take fridge temperatures, it will be a trust-wide issue. And some areas might have it, their processes right that aren't particularly right for another area that may be only open five days a week or something like that. Ultimately, you need to take the action planning away from the ward level and take that pressure off them because it is a organisational problem and i think where you identify organizational issues something that it actually is a problem across the board so let's stop trying to solve it individually you need to almost kind of go do you know for this for this area that you're you're auditing you don't need to put an action plan in because we know there's an issue we are doing something at a corporate or divisional level to do that because otherwise it is a lot of time it's a lot of time to go in you know and just say you're going to share it with your team and then you get notified that your audit's over, your action's overdue, <laughs> and then you have to go and update it. And it, it must be soul-destroying because the, the data doesn't change. You know, the results don't don't change at all. And I think, you know, what what people tend to do also is they keep their 
planning to very much the team involved in potentially the audit and not actually everyone that's related to the factors um, contributing to the results. So, for instance, um, you will often go to nurses, nursing teams, and you will say, this is your result for this particular audit, and it's happening, and it's up and down each month, and it's never really improving. And they will say, it's because of the AHPs that come in but they never have a joint meeting or it's because of the doctors. They'll come in and they do it this different way. So when the doctors are in, it's this. So often, and, and particularly with clinical audits as well, the doctors will will have those presentations, but you don't always have everybody representing the whole process for whatever they're auditing in that room. So how can you ever sell, solve the problem? You know, it's about open discussion. And we always used to say, go, go and present this to the clinical audit where all the clinicians are or invite them to this meeting and and let's talk about it because they're involved too. Do you find that, Bob? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I agree, Suzanne. It's, I think it's the culture of it's my result, it's my audit. I'm not going to share it. I'm not going to involve anybody else because it's just my problem where the culture should be somebody else might be in the same position and they might have different different ideas or different way of working but um and it's again going back to the understanding of the problem and y- using the maybe um the investigative uh, actions and i'm going to go back suzanne to the uh, fantastic um pdf handouts that you you've shared from amat which absolutely helped me a lot i don't know if you remember them because yeah, I've printed them, <laughs> I've printed them off, and they're, they're just lying here on my desk uh, in front of me now. So, so the categor- uh, categories of actions, uh, the awareness actions, the learning actions, your administrative actions, escalation, investigative, and change actions, and the investigation action. I think that's the the key action where you are doing the investigation, the discovery uh, discovery process. Uh, observing or doing a process map where you involve stakeholders, people who are involved in the process. We all follow a process, even the process of temperature checks. It's a process. Somebody's involved in that. There's that weak link in the process where that fails and to understand it, what is failing instead of jumping conclusion, um, yeah, as of Monday, start start checking the the fridge temperatures at 11 o'clock they will still not do it because there is something that stops them from doing it. And unless you stand there and observe or, or, or do the process map, because I've participated in a few process um, map sessions where the minute you bring people from different angles, going from clinical, clinical um, clinicians level down to, I don't know, a porter, each one of them, because they're involved at different stages of the process, they will see the process differently and say, oh, that's how you do it. I didn't realise you do it because I do it as well. And you find duplications in the process as well. And maybe removing some barriers, removing waste uh, in the process, that could be an action because if you remove waste, that can then lead to improvement. Yeah, absolutely. And there's something, isn't there, about changing the focus of when they actually embark on a project or an audit, whether that's like a regular one or, or um, an actual traditional clinical audit, it's taking the focus off. Often they think it's all about the results. How do we change that where we go, it's not about the results, it's about what you do with the results. 
So that's your kind of gold standard. What are you going to do about this? And if your results are fantastic, what are you going to do about it? Well, you're going to share it. I'm going to share it with other teams. I'm going to share it with other organizations in the network. You know, so there's always something to do at the end. And without that end, it's just activity. It's nothing else. And that's, I think that can feel quite exhausting for organizations. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we, uh, we've got um, definitely AMA is a place uh, where we've got shed loads of data, absolutely loads of data um, that people can just push the button and they can de- uh, get the data and try to look at it and, they, and say, right, okay, we've collected the data for the last 12, 16, however months, what are we doing with it? Are we understanding the data we've got? Are we moving it forward? Are we, um, is the data good, showing good results or is it showing not so good results? And it shouldn't be down to one ward leader, one person. Now your data shows this, you fix it. It's a collective work, it's a teamwork, it's a team effort to understand the bottom line. Yeah, it's understanding before before you put in your in your action plan, I'm gonna do a poster. I want to ask why. Why it's a poster. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It would be great, wouldn't it, to get to the point where we are producing everything we produce is quality. Um, quality data, quality action plans, rather than focusing on the amount activity, because I see this all the time. I see this, and I don't like to call it blind panic, but this 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 overassurance all the time. And I'm and we and some organisations talk about overassurance, and they try and get rid of everything, and then they're a bit underassuring. Um, and I've seen it where they've had to build back up again. Um, and it's about I find a lot a lot of the time you'll get data that's providing um, lots of assurance because it's all green. But when you delve into it and you can see actually we've got some risks around that or we've had some incidents around that, it's about understanding, I guess, even before you get to the action planning as well, Bob, about that activity. Is it of use? Is it actually producing the results you need it to produce? as well and I think there's a lots of questions about about this about the data we collect and and the usefulness of it um so yeah it's quite complex and we've, and we've heard that before haven't we in in some of the case studies we've done Suzanne about how we don't want the box ticking exercises that's a phrase which has been mentioned before uh, that we want to move beyond that and like you say asking the why involving everyone across the organization helps to remove that that kind of thinking sort of thing yeah, there's a lot of assurance-based audits. I think you could really stop collecting data on because the assurances are there in other formats. So you could certainly do it a lot less, um, mainly because I'm always focused on the so what. What are you doing about it? Why Why are you spending so much time doing this when you're constantly at this score and, and nothing's being changed? Either... You know, what are your risks against this? What are your, um, any incidents around this? You know, let's triangulate some of that data and start to go, right, okay, can we drop this off a little bit? Can we focus on the things that are obviously of concern to us so that we can really 
really start to embed those good improvement plans. Um, and again, it's if everyone could focus on the so what at the end, the, the bit at the end, um, it would be a lot better rather than just collecting the data all the time and thinking, right, we've done that. That's the result. And, and sometimes I think there's an element of that's where we're at. We're always at that. There's not much we can do about it. We've tried. There's always actions in place. Nothing happens. Well, they're not really bothered about doing anything about it because it's never a risk or there's not an incidence against, against it. So why are we carrying on doing it? Um, it is interesting. Often it's because it's required for, um, say, a CQC visit or anything, or, or um, the CCGs will ask for it, the commissioners will ask for it. So I get that we do collect it, but I think there's better ways of doing it, certainly better ways of um, putting some improvement plans in place. Yeah, and I, I agree, Suzanne. And I think also the, the time is a huge constraint because if, you, if you're asking somebody to collect five sets of notes a month or 10 sets of notes a month um, or however many they, they collect data for and they they run out of physically they run out of time to then concentrate more on the this and what bit so now you're asking me to do an action plan I've just used my three months worth of the project I was dedicated to do I was given three months to to do uh, an audit and I spent all three months collecting data I do not have the time now to design, not even asking about completion of the action, it's even designing the action because I have spent so much time collecting the data. And this is where we, yeah, is, is the assurance, is the question about where do we say we've got enough data now? Let's start, let's start using. Absolutely. I once um, talked to teams about doing, um, having improvement periods put within their schedules for auditing. So, and this is mainly around the nursing style, those assurance audits, but it could happen. It could happen at clinical level as well. So for, for um, site or clinical, uh, traditional clinical audits, where you go, we collect data in this period. So from April to October or whenever, we collect data, we get all our assurance data and we look at it. And whether that's for a quarter or two quarters, and then we, we suspend it all. We suspend it all and all we're doing is improving. And we pick it up 12 weeks later and we go, where are we now? Has there been a marked improvement in this? Because you're not spending a load of time collecting data, but the time that you were collecting the data and you were analyzing the results and, and, and um, sharing those results, you're focused heavily on improvement. What is the problem? Where are we doing? You can look at that across the organization. You can look at it at ward level, specialty level, division level. Um, and you can really do something about it. You go, look, you can just breathe now because we know where we're at. Let's do it. The thing with that is you'd have to do that on a not on an annual cycle because often data is um, – there's a lot of differences in the data at certain periods of the time. So when you're in heavy periods like during December and you've got winter pressures, things will dip. Um, so potentially, I always say it's really good to do assurance audits at your worst possible period because <laughs> that's how bad – that's, that's a, as bad as you get. <laughs> That's a challenge. It's the worst time the nursing staff are like and clinical staff are like, really, put the pressure on. But that is as bad as it will get, you know. Or you could say, you know, we'll only do improvement during those times because we're focused on on that. But I think, I think 
you know, because data does go up and down and sometimes it's nice to know why that's happening. But I do think sometimes people need to just stop, just take some time, do the improvement line, kick it back up again, which is what you do in improvement projects. You put the change in place, you stop, you put the change in place, then you begin to collect the data. You don't collect the data all the way through traditionally. Anything to add to that, Bob? I've not wanted to interrupt at all in this. It's been fascinating. It's just to, to, to add to what Suzanne said, it's um, in the improvement, if we look at the uh, the next step, so you've done your data collection and you now you come back to let's improve on something and you start implementing the little changes, the PDSA cycles. And I guess you, you should measure regularly how that change has influenced the... Uh, the, the process uh, so uh, I don't know given an example of um, uh, temperature checks in in, in theatres um, if we've got low compliance on temperature checks in theatres and use that right we've got enough data we now are trying testing testing the changes because you might find that um, I don't know um, asking a different member of staff to, to, to measure temperature, that has not resulted in an improvement. So that change actually has made it worse. Um, and then you have to try another test. So without the data collection, you wouldn't necessarily know where to implement the new thing. Or And then the other thing is don't throw everything at once. So if you've got your ideas in your head um, to I'm going to do this, this A, B, C and D do not throw them all at once do them, test them periodically because if you do them all at once how will you know which one has worked and which one to abandon, which one to adopt uh, or uh, adapt so you have to stagger the changes um, one by one and see which one is really making uh, making making the improvement and that's what it's all about, isn't it? Making the improvement. Well, I think that's all we've got time for, even though I can see Suzanne itching to say more. So I'll just say thanks to Barb and Suzanne for your time and your insight. I hope this episode has been interesting and useful. If any of our listeners would like to join me on a future episode, then get in touch by emailing podcast at amat.co.uk. And of course, please subscribe and share wherever you can. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.